So we are actually in a sermon series um, in the book of 1 John. Now, John was written by someone who had an eyewitness uh, account of Jesus and actually is someone that so witnessed Jesus' death and resurrection. And this is what what we believe as Christians, that the Christian faith is not kind of built upon some sort of myth or some sort of philosophical system, but rather this reality that Jesus was someone who lived and died and resurrected from the grave. And so John is one of these people who actually has this eyewitness experience of him, and he writes to the early church as this movement begins to spread in the Roman Empire, uh, talking about this Jesus fellow. Now, last week we talked about one of the themes that John will talk about then is, what does it mean to live in light of this belief that this resurrected Jesus is real versus the ways of the world? Now, when he talks about the world, we're going to talk about this juxtaposition. Because uh, in earlier passages, what you'll have read is this, is John actually says, uh, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. Let me hear you say light. Light. That's right. He's light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, there's that word again, as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, here's basically what John is doing. John is juxtaposing what life with Jesus is like versus life apart from Jesus. And he uses these metaphors of light and darkness. Now, in the passage that was read earlier, some of you probably read that. Maybe you're new to faith. Maybe you just kind of wandered in because you saw the cyanets out, or maybe somehow you heard about these corn dogs. Either way, somehow you wandered in here, and maybe for some reason you're like, that passage that was read was full of so much religious jargon, like light and darkness and antichrist and world, and you're like, what in the world is going on here? Well, John is actually using this metaphor that's common to every person, right? It's this idea of light versus darkness, of good versus evil, of right versus wrong. Now, here's the thing. Wherever you are in the spectrum of religious thought or philosophical thought, you could even be an atheist. There's, if there was a, a, like these two polarities of a progressive Democrat or like a conservative Republican, every single one of us has some sort of version of good and evil, right and wrong, light and darkness. And so what John is basically doing is he's using this metaphor because what's common to every single one of us, whatever background we come from, there's probably this intuitive sense that there's light and there's darkness. There's good and there's evil. And really, this is what John is inviting us to. He's inviting us to examine then what is light and what is darkness. Now, in the passage that was read earlier today, check out the metaphor that John now brings into the conversation. It's this idea of the world. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, you can see it's underlined there. Love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, some of you are probably like, geez, I knew it. This church is going to talk about the world and everything else is evil except the Christian church. Well, just so you guys know, in Christian theology, this idea of the world is not that the world is all completely bad. In fact, in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, there's actually this passage that shows us that when God creates the world, the universe and everything in it, check out what he says. He says, God saw all that he had made and he doesn't say it was evil and to be done with. He says it was tov meod. It was very good. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was good. 
Now, that's why we as human beings, again, whatever your religious affiliation or background, we all experience vestiges of this goodness when we eat Korean fried chicken, right? You know what I'm talking about, and it's a beautiful day, and the sun is going down, and we linger with the music around us, and we haven't been together in months, but somehow the food tastes better because we're together again. You know what I'm talking about. You don't have to be religious to know this kind of goodness, this kind of, it's very good. So what is John talking about then when he's talking about this other thing of the world? You see, because in Christian theology, there's this belief that the world was created to be good and beautiful, but at the same time, we all experience these moments of brokenness, of despair, of pain, of the world feeling like it's unraveling. When we hear the news of what's happening in the Middle East, we all have felt these hints of this is not good, the world is not good. When we hear about what's happening with the rise of Asian violence or violence against Asian Americans in our city and in our country, we all feel the vestiges of this world not being good. And see, what John is doing is John is basically painting this picture because, again, he's giving this juxtaposition of light and darkness. And notice the specificity with which John begins to talk specifically about how the world is unraveling. Look at what he says. He says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, here John is basically talking about very specific things or elements of the world that we experience today, or the ways that we personally have been captured by these three things. Somehow what he's basically talking about is a way in which the world has gone awry. That it was originally meant for beauty and goodness, and yet it's become unraveled because of these things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now what is he talking about in these words? He uses these words lust and pride. What is lust? Lust is basically this over-wanting something is wanting so much for something to be that very thing that satisfies me. Pride is this element in which me as a human being, I start to think of myself as my own God and I think that I'm better than everyone else. You see, what John is basically talking about are things that every single human within each human heart we wrestle with, right? There's another way of actually outlining lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Here's one way. Sex, money, and power. You know what I'm talking about. We live in a city that is great at pursuing sex, money, and power. Now, you know what's so interesting about sex, money, and power, though, is that sex, money, and power, taken by itself, are actually great and beautiful things. Sex, for instance, is created as something that's beautiful and life-giving and fulfilling. Money is something that we can earn and we can be generous with and can help a whole lot of people. Power is something where if we have power, we can actually leverage it for good and for sacrifice. But isn't it interesting that when we talk about sex, money, and power, it's so easily the three things that so easily trip us up. They trip us up when they're lusted after, when they become moments of pride in our life. See, you don't even have to be religious to, to remark that, yeah, this is probably true, this idea that there are these things that when sex, money, and power are lusted after or prided over, these things become things that end up taking up our imagination, our affections, and our desires. 
And see, what John is talking about is John is basically saying, you see this, this, these are the elements of the world Whereas human beings, when there's this battle between light and darkness, so many of us want to go just run straight to the darkness. Without even knowing it, we succumb to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now here's what happens though. John actually doubles down on this idea of the world and some of the evils of the world. And he starts to use this phrase. Check this out. He says, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Now, again, that's a religious word. I apologize if for some of you that feels like, oh, what's he talking about there? Even now, many Antichrists have come. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now, what is John talking about when he uses this word antichrist? Well, there's this word anti to be against, and then there's Christ. Who is Christ? Well, Christ is what the Christian faith is all about. It's Jesus, the one who has come to lovingly give his life as a sacrifice for us and to resurrect from the grave and to show us a new way of love, of truth, of beauty, of, ju of justice, of kindness. This is what Christ is and this is who he is and this is what he has embodied. And the earliest Christians knew that the life of a Christian was a life that was tethered to Jesus, this Jesus fellow. It wasn't some list of moral codes or laws that we had to live by, but instead it was found in a person. And so when John is using this phrase of antichrist, what he's basically saying is anything that is apart from Christ, from Jesus, anything that would somehow take us away from the story of love, justice, beauty, truth, kindness, that Jesus has always been about when Jesus says, forgive your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When he starts to say, I want you to live in such a manner in which you feed the hungry and you live for the poor and the marginalized and you do it out of kindness and sacrificial generosity, this is the way of Jesus. And whatever might prevent us from living according to the ways that Jesus embodied, that is the Antichrist. Now, here's the thing. Some of you may have experienced Christian faith or church. And here's what's so crazy for me is that so many times I meet people who don't identify as Christians and they often tell me, I'm really compelled by that Jesus guy. But there's just something about churches and pastors and clergy. And I'm like, you know, I'm a clergy, right? Uh, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I do. That somehow makes me feel like I don't want to follow this Jesus fellow. And here, standing before you, I just want to admit and to confess, like if there's anything that's keeping you from Jesus, whether it's the church, whether it's the corn dogs, whether it's whatever it might be that's keeping you from Jesus, like I, just forgive me on behalf of any of those things that somehow misrepresent what this faith has been about from the beginning. And see, here's what John is basically saying. The Antichrist is basically anything that's anti-Jesus. Whether it's Christian nationalism, whether it's racism that's been perpetuated by the church itself, all of these things can be Antichrist. And what John is basically saying is anything that pulls you apart from Jesus, that 
is what we are to avoid in the world. So you see, there's light and there's darkness, but really what it means is there's Jesus and then there's everything else. And if we can be tethered to Jesus, that's how it can make a difference. See, but today's talk is really, how do we overcome evil and darkness? How do we do it? You see, on one hand, see, whether you're religious or you're not, here's basically what's been revealed, right? Evil, sin, and darkness are real. I hope we can all agree on that fact. Whether you're a Christian or you're not, every single one of us can at least say, yes, evil, sin, and darkness are real. We might have different versions of what that looks like, but we won't get into that conversation. Instead, we'll get into the conversation of, yeah, isn't it true? Evil, sin, and darkness are real. Well, what is the Christian solution? How do we overcome evil, sin, and darkness? Now, here's what you're going to find in the passage that was read earlier. What John offers us, the solution, the way that we overcome evil and darkness, might be different than what you and I might suspect, especially if you were coming into a church or a religious context. Because some of us might expect, oh, what he's basically going to say now is, you need to be better. You need to be holy. You need to be smarter. You need to be wiser. You need to hang out with the right, basically everything that your parents told you when you were five years old. I mean, that's kind of what we think. It's kind of this list of things that we have to do or don't do. And yet, check out what John actually says. He says, as for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. Can I hear you say remains? Remains. Remains. Now, that word is the word meno in Greek. Meno also means to abide, to remain, or to imbibe. It has this relational quality that we remain connected, we remain together. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain or abide in him. He keeps talking about meno, to remain, to abide. And now, dear children, remain in him so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming if you know that he is righteous you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him now isn't this fascinating what john is basically saying he doesn't give this list of oh this is what you need to do you need to stop stop that addiction by doing this this and this you need to be better and start with your own kind of willpower as a human being you need to be he doesn't say that he says here's the antidote i want you to remain to abide to remain connected to you know, in the Gospel of John, this word is used time and time again as well. Check out how it's used. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain, there's that word again, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do everything because you're so smart, New Yorkers. You've got master's degrees and PhDs. You guys have made a lot of money because this is a city where if you can't make it here, you can't make it. Well, yeah, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sorry, I got a little carried away. I mean, isn't this interesting? He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, Will you remain tethered to me? Will you remain connected to me? He gives this image of vine and branches. 
that just as a vine, if it's not connected, if the branches aren't connected, there can be no fruit that grows from these vines. I mean, do you see this word, how powerful this word of remaining is? It's a tethering. It's a connectivity. It's a, a, another way that meno is used in the ancient world. Is this, it's a word for waiting. When you're waiting on someone, you're waiting on someone because you're, you're remaining there. You're abiding. You're, you're there because you won't move unless that person moves. You won't go anywhere until you've met that person. And here's basically what John is saying. You see, the key to overcoming darkness is not to be better or to do harder or to do whatever it is, but it's to abide. It's to remain in Jesus. It's to remain connected to him. It's to remain in relationship with him. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's actually about remaining in a relationship. A few weeks ago, or was it last week, was Mother's Day? Oh, yeah, it was last week. Last week was Mother's Day. What I've learned in my relationship with my wife, Tina, is that uh, if I, like, if I come to her, I'm like, oh, it's Mother's Day, I've got to get you something again, right? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't work very well. But if I can write a card, do something nice, bribe our kids to write something <laughs> and draw something and I write something really nice by the way we've made this agreement that I usually buy flowers after Mother's Day because it's marked down so anyhow, anyhow just life tip life hack there guys so uh, anyhow but what I've realized about my relationship with Tina is that when I come to her and I don't come and say like hey you know you just it's Mother's Day again everyone else is buying flowers here's your flowers right that, that kind of motive that's driven by to do's and don'ts versus like, honey, we love you. You are the mom of the universe. <laughs> oh, the mom of the universe. I've never said that in my life, but somehow it came out just now, you know, like you are the mom of the universe. <laughs> and uh, I love you, you know. You, you know this. There's a difference in quality when the relationship is thriving, when it's connected, when it's meno, when it's abiding, when it's remaining. And the way to overcome the darkness or evil is to remain connected. Is to, when I realize that I'm living in a selfish way towards my wife and towards my children, if hopefully I'm, I'm meno, I'm remaining connected or, and tethered to Jesus, it draws me into hopefully a life of wanting to sacrifice and wanting to love and be kind the way Jesus is kind and loving. When I'm someone who in the midst of the pandemic has just grown so apathetic or cynical or maybe even despairing and all I want to do is watch, binge watch more Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu Instead, there's this connectivity to the living God that draws me into living into a story that's bigger than myself to remain connected. This is the invitation. 
You know, as I was thinking of, uh, of an illustration to kind of illustrate what this is like, I, I thought of, actually, I was at this lecture a couple of years ago, and I was given by this name, guy named uh, Bradley Rapier, who's actually a hip-hop choreographer who also teaches at USC, and he's choreographed a lot of these different hip-hop routines and things like that. And uh, he w I was hearing him talk, and he used this phrase that absolutely captivated me. This is what he said. He goes... <laughs> He goes, when you're learning how to dance, it's not about the moves, it's about the groove. <laughs> and uh, you know, initially I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, are you supposed to, like moves make up, you know, he goes, Drew, you're not getting it. Listen, listen, it's not about the technical moves, it's about the groove. <laughs> And he would always say it that way, you know? And it was like, wow, I want the groove, you know? Like, that's what I want. Forget the moves. I want the groove. And he was saying this because he was saying that oftentimes when it comes to hip-hop, people want to learn techniques and what to do. And he's just like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's about the groove. Now, isn't that true? Uh, okay, that's my part being done trying to be cool or whatever, you know, I was, you know, but I mean, isn't it true though? Like when it comes to the groove, this is kind of, you and I know what that's like, right? You, you know the difference between knowing moves and being caught up in a groove. It's kind of like riding a bike. You can be taught how to ride a bike, watch YouTube videos on how to ride a bike, but until you actually get on the bike and you fall down a few times and then you've kind of learned that equilibrium, that groove of keeping your balance and pedaling and feeling the wind in your face. When you finally are able to ride a bike, you know what I'm talking about, the difference between the moves and the groove. And the invitation of the Christian life is not simply to learn the moves, but to be caught up in the groove. To remain, to abide, to be connected, to be centered, to be anchored, to be tethered. And so here's what I want to invite you to today. I want to invite you to the groove. I want to invite you back to Jesus. Maybe there's some of you, you have wandered away a bit. Maybe some of you have been caught up in the apathy that this season has brought. Maybe some of you, honestly, you're just exhausted. But here's what I'm willing to guess or even to bet is that somehow there was an inkling in you that you would go through the painstaking trouble of registering online and showing up because you don't want to learn some moves. You want to get caught up in a groove. And maybe you've missed that groove and maybe you found your heart wander or your mind and your soul distracted. And today, the invitation is, will you come get caught up in the groove? 